0: Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Alright, so here's what we want to do we want to keep going in our Good News Gospel series. And what we're really, um, for the next few months, is we're trying to say is like, what is the heart of the Christian faith? And as you look into the New Testament, what you find is this word gospel. In the Greek, it's eongelion. It means um, news that brings joy. So what is the heart of the Christian faith? Because a lot of churches, um, myself included, as a a pastor's um, sort of shift into this thing, the gospel, being about behavior modification or about teaching good principles so that we have wisdom for life, but that's not actually what this thing called the gospel is. The gospel is an announcement about something that has happened in human history that has altered human history And it has deep implications for our lives. And so what we came the first week and said was, what if this thing called the gospel has chapters? And the chapters are this, creation, that we were created by God to join God in creation, and actually that we were created in his image for good. I'll touch on that a little bit today, but this week we'll be talking about the fall. Happy two-year anniversary. We'll talk about the fall today. Um, Sin enters the world via disobedience. Then we'll get into redemption. What makes things right? What can rescue us? What does um, life through Christ look like? And then ultimately, the thing that we long for, which is restoration, the renewing of all thi- the renewal of all things. And then, how do we join in? How do we join in on what God is? doing. And if you want to sort of understand the Christian faith, one like homework assignment could be go read Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 as a way of understanding, God, what is it that you created this world for? What is it that you created me for? And how do I join in on that? And if you go do that, what you're going to find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, kind of building off of this right here, is you're going to find a repeated phrase. And the repeated phrase is, God saw it was good. God saw it was good, and I was sort of, I was reading Genesis 1 this week, and I kept, I kept looking, and I thought, it's kind of funny that God um, keeps pausing, right? Like, after day six, it says, God saw that it was very good, but like, every day, God stops. He creates sun, moon, stars, skies, water, every living creature that moves along the ground, and then what does it say? It was good. I'm like, God loves to delight. Like our God loves to just look at things and just smile and delight in them. If you think about, you ever make like a video on your phone? It could be like short, long, whatever, but you just watch it and it just brings you joy. And like 20 minutes later, you like watch it again. And then you get in bed that night and you just watch it again. You just keep laughing because this thing is bringing you joy. I I sort of imagine God in that way. And what the Bible is doing in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it's opening and saying, here's a world overflowing with life. And it's beautiful and it's, um, maybe the best way to say it is that it's interwoven and it, it's interdependent, right? Like creation is all needing each other and everything is, is working together. And I think that's the part that brings God the truest delight. Is that which he created, he can look on and say like, it's good, it's working together. And then of course, on day six, what does God say? God saw that he had made and it was very good. He looks at all those things he made at the end and says, it's very good. Well, What's good? It's good for us to join him in the cultivation and the tending of the garden. And what we've been saying over the last couple of weeks is that we were created for good. Or The Bible uses the word shalom. And to you and I, um, shalom is like, or peace is the um, absence, right, of, of trouble or hostility. But that's not the idea really in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word is like fullness or wholeness. And so that's what we were actually created for. And before Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and there's contentment, and there's peace with God and with creation, shalom. And then chapter 3 hits, and um, it's like, dun-dun-dun, enter the antagonist, right? The snake, later who we find out is the devil or Satan. And God had told Adam and Eve in chapter 2, he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat from it, you will certainly die. You will certainly die. Now, um, in terms of language, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly like the most helpful way to think, think about it, because we're like, well, we're all going to die, you know, so it's like that's, that's going to happen. This is a little bit different. Um, God is saying to Adam and Eve, actually, what's, what's going to happen is you are going to break shalom. You're going to break the, the, the very flourishing of the things that I have created. There's actually going to enter into this story now chaos. And more important than that is that you're going to be separated from the life of God. There's going to be a separation. And what does the snake come along there in Genesis 3 and sneakily say, did God really say? Right, just like this little nudge, right? Did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And what I find fascinating in Genesis chapter 3 is the, the woman actually says back to the snake, yes, God did say, if you touch it, you will die. But what the tempter comes and does is says, what if it didn't? What if it didn't bring death, but what if it actually might be, and he uses the word that God uses, which is good. Good. And this whole passage really hinges on verse 6 here. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And do you see that little phrase there? When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good, right? Remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God saw it, and it was good. God made it, and it was good. Good. So, you look at the passage and you say this Whoa, 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 wait. I thought God gets to decide what's good. I thought God looked at stuff and says that it's good. And God said, Don't eat from the tree. And then the tempter comes, wedges in. And what does a woman say? Did, maybe you're right, you know, like, did God, God said it brings death, that it, that's the breaking of shalom, but you know what? I actually think that it's pleasing to my eye, that it's desirable. Um, One of the the words there in the Hebrew is like a a lust, right? It's like something you can't take your mind and your eye off of. And do you see what the woman is doing? She's looking at what God says is deadly, and she's reframing it as good. And this is the fall. This is the entrance of sin into the world. In, in, In this passage, Adam and Eve think that they can find goodness apart from God. And what they think they can do is actually begin to decide for themselves what's good and what's bad. God, I don't need you to tell me what's good. I don't need you to tell me what's right and what's wrong. And as that spirals, what do we find? God, I don't need you. I got this. Uh, the great English theologian John Stott says, "For the essence of man, uh, or for the essence of sin, is man substituting himself for God." Right. So this is what we find in the passage. God. I got this. I'm smarter than you. I know exactly what I'm doing. And fundamentally, under every sin, and I want to sort of make this word more accessible over the next couple weeks, not so we can, you know, participate in it, but so that we can understand the ways in which even just simply putting ourselves first is a way of falling short of what God's standard is. Because sin is ultimately a way of saying, I'm going to do it my way, God, because I know what's right. And Genesis 3 is a a seizing of control of what what God's good story is, right? To say, I actually know what's good. And I know this story sort of, uh, Genesis 1 and 2 sort of orbits around you, God, but I'm going to just sort of take the mantle of that and say, you know what, I really think this story should orbit around me. And one of the things I kept thinking about this week is like, why does God care that much? Right? Like, why why does God care about sin? Why is sin so offensive to God? But think about it. He looks at the things he created. He's loving. If he really is, I should say, loving and good. And if God really is holy and righteous, then he actually knows that sin messes us up. It messes up the shalom that he created us for, and therefore it goes against his very nature and his character. And I think that this is a really good message for our time, that, um, that where we would say, you do you, right? You, you, you got this, right? You, you're fine. Everything is good, right? And I love the, like, I love the way in which our culture is so like, encouraging and wants people to be right, but what if, what if it actually goes against the, the way in which God created us, um, his very nature and his character? Then I think we, we start to have problems. And so I, want, I don't want to chase this down too far here. We're going to get to this in a second. Um, I want to go to our main passage that Jake read earlier because I think what it shows is um, sort of two pathways of sinfulness really, really beautifully. And then what, what we'll actually do over the next two weeks is um, we'll focus on each one of these. But today will be like a high level picture of, of the fall. And then um, I want to end thinking about the father's response. But uh, here in our passage, Jesus um, tells a parable. A parable um, is a short story that illustrates a profound truth. A short story, profound um, truth. And so the man has two sons, and the younger one says to his father, Father, I want my inheritance, right? I I want my share. I I want my money to do what I want with. Now, it's sort of subtle in in the text. And so um, I did a little bit of research this week, and thinking about um, what this actually means. Um, I don't have time to break all of this down, but essentially what the, what the son coming to the father and asking for his inheritance early is he's, he's basically saying to his father, father, I can't wait for you to die, right? I have no respect for like the rest of your life. I want what I'm promised now, okay? And so I don't know why, but the father obliged. I also was thinking, I was like, what if I did that to my dad? <laughs> like, um, dad, I know you're getting up there. Like, i like to, I like to take everything, like, sooner. He would write me out um, and just laugh in my face. Uh, but anyway, Father, I cannot wait till you die. He gets the money, and then look what it says. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So he leaves. I find it interesting that he leaves because what is leaving home? Leaving home is always a, um, and I know many of you here, like, you, you've done this, right? You've, you've left home. What are you doing when you leave home? You're leaving a place of security. You're leaving the place where um, you're known. It's the primary place. It's the primary context in which you are loved, and you leave that. And in here, it says, he's gone to a distant country. He's far off. And uh, I, I find it funny that it translates like, it, um, he squanders his wealth in wild living because really all it says is he's wasteful. Like he just goes and waste. And, and what's so, so interesting about this is Luke or, or um, the, the author or, or Jesus who's, who's speaking the parable is like, I'm like, where are the details? You know, like, where's the juicy details? Like, is this like the hangover part seven? Like I want, I want to like get into the story a little bit. And Jesus is like, you, you know what this is like. Like, you know someone who's done this. Maybe you've done this. You, you, your mind fills in all the blanks. That's the powerful part of the story. You know what it's like for someone to go and ball out and to, to be wild, right? And so this is what happens to him. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And I think the, when I read the story this week, I think the thing that I really um, started to appreciate about the younger son is how quick he realized that this wasn't working, right? There's a, there's a, like a measure of self-awareness about him. And maybe it's easy because he's hit rock bottom, right? He's so hungry. He's, he's willing to, to eat from these, um, these pig troughs. And then verse 17 says this, when he came to his senses, in the original language, it's like himself having come to himself, like he realized the, th- the truth about himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father I have a feeling that some of us know moments like this in our lives, or maybe we need to hear that like we, we're in one of these moments where it's like you, you got nothing left. There's, there's, no, there's no more down to go. It feels pretty dark. And I think it's a really beautiful moment that he's, he's able to just utter those words, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And then just hear the depth of this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm not even welcome home anymore. I know know home is not a place where what I've done, this thing is welcome. And there's tons of words for sin in the Bible. There's iniquity, ungodliness, unrighteousness, perversion, rebellion. And we'll sort of look at some of these over the next week. But the word that's used here is actually the most common word in the Bible used for sin. And the word is hamartano. And it means to miss the mark, right? And so uh, uh, you sort of imagine um, like an archer with an arrow and there's a bullseye that you're supposed to hit and you miss, right? And I, I, I sort of appreciate the, the metaphor because it's like, do you miss on purpose? Like I've tried to hit, I've shot an arrow before and tried to hit the center and like, it's not happening, you know? Actually, Marcellus, you and I, we, we hit some arrows. We, we got those, we got those bullseyes. but. I think drawing back on this, uh, you're laughing at me. I'm sorry. Um, drawing back on the Genesis passage, God has a way, right? God has, God has said, like, there's a way that's good. There's, there's a way that's, like, defined. That there's, a, there's a way that I want you and that I've designed the world to function. That's what I want you to hit. And you fell outside of that. And I wonder if the son is, is just realizing, like, Dad, you were right right? I shouldn't have done that, but you gave me the ability and the freedom to do that. And so what is the son ultimately doing, right? The younger son, he's looking for fulfillment outside of home. He's looking for fulfillment outside of home, and he's doing it through numbing, through um, I, Henry in comments on this passage are just so helpful. He says that um, the best word for what the younger son is doing is just addiction, right? He's just seeking Um, A Way of Love Outside the Father, Addiction. Henry Nouwen goes on to write this. Um, He says, I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. I just think that's such a helpful way to think about um, the sin, about being the prodigal, about being lost, where, you know, we're actually in our lives, we don't even know it, but we're really like meaning-making loving creatures, where we're just seeking to be filled up, right? Like, can, the tra- can enough travel make me purposeful and meaningful? Can, can, like, finding the right career and can getting the next ex- experience sort of uh, fill me up? Um, Katie and I last night—well, um, I should say Katie—she was watching um, Love is Blind. This is my wife, by the way. Uh, she was watching Love is Blind, um, and I, I sort of—I was, I was trying not to watch. I was just getting, like, sucked in. Um, but this woman on the show, she just kept saying, she kept saying, I just want someone to love me unconditionally. I was like, she like said it like eight times. Don't go and watch it. It's absolutely a waste of time. Um, Okay. There's some, there's some fans. Um, But I, I was like, you know what? At least this woman is honest. Like, I don't think that's first date. You know, I like, I don't think that's what you should lead with on a first date. But I was like, I think this is pretty good, actually, to be like, this is actually what I want. This is the thing that I deeply long for, and this is how I'm trying to do it, right? These are my best illustrations these days. All right. So I think our hearts are really hungry for that, right? There's something in us that says, I I just really want to be deeply loved. But the problem is, is we direct it in the wrong way. And so Martin Luther, the great 16th century reformer, came along and said, what what is sin ultimately? And and Martin Luther came along and said, and if you've been around here, I'm sorry, I use this all the time because I think it's a really helpful way to understand what sin actually is. Uh, Martin Luther says that um, sin is a life turned inwardly on itself, or um, the phrase he uses is in the Latin, incurvitus in se. So he says this, our nature, by the corruption of the first sin being so deeply curved in on itself... That it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, or rather even in, um, uses God Himself in order to attain these gifts, but it also fails to realize that it is so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeking all things, even God, for its own sake. I think this is one of the easiest ways to understand sin a life turned inwardly on itself, so consumed with the self that it cannot um, imagine life outside of itself. And so go back to that question, why does God care about sin, right? Like, why can't he just, why can't God just move on? Well, when you have 8 billion people on a planet turned inwardly on itself, you actually just get a planet like ours. Like, I I don't know how to say it more plainly. You get isolation and you get depression and you get apathy and narcissism and anxiety and addiction and ways of coping. And so we can look at sin and say, well, you know, I'm not that big of a deal, right? Or you can say it's actually very, very detrimental and dangerous when a lot of people gather together and only think about themselves and their own fulfillment and their own ways. And when the Bible talks about sin, it gives an intensity to it, right? There's like a weight and a seriousness of it. Um, The psalmist says in Psalm 38, verse 3, there is no health in my bones because of my sin, right? Because there's like a sickness that weighs heavy. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, sin makes us miserable. As inevitable as it is and unavoidable as it turns out to be, it is not congenial to our image of God-created selves. Sin introduces a foreign substance into our souls. This is not the way we were intended to live. It makes us sick right? And, 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 and sin seems to be like a cancer that multiplies itself. Um, about a year and a half ago, we had some friends for dinner. They brought some pizza. It was delicious. I won't share where it's from. Um, you've been there probably. I mean, this pizza was so good. Like, it was in my top 15. It was so saucy. It was so dense. Like, ch- mad cheese. It was like everything. It was perfect. And then I got food poisoning from it. And I was miserable. I was thinking about that this week, like, is sin sort of fun in, 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 like, in why you're doing it? I, but kind of, sometimes, I guess, but that shouldn't be the focus. It made me sick. I would never eat that pizza again, right, if I, was, if I was given the option. What did it do? It introduced a foreign substance into my body, and my body's reacting, right? My body's trying to purge this from it. And so sin is a sickness and introduces a foreign substance into our soul. And so I'll, I'll, what I'll try to do over the next couple weeks is give some more definitions so we can say, and not so we can say I, I, I do that, but as a way of saying these are my shortcomings and I'm, I'm willing to actually accept some of the weaknesses that I have. And I love that the Bible uses a lot of different words because um, I think the readers or the writers are really trying to say like this is, this is like my real life. These are the things that I've done and this is why I need something outside of myself to save me. But, Anytime you're reading the Bible, the context is so important. And the focus of this passage, while I think this is a part of it, right? Like clearly this younger son was lost, right? Sinful, participating in sin. But it's important to look at the context of this passage, which we didn't read. The setup is so key to understanding something else. Verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. Jesus goes on to, to share three parables. And he's sharing parables about things that are lost and that need to be found. And so there's another character that I think um, is really, really important in our story. In fact, um, our, most of our Bibles title this the parable of the lost son. And um, it just actually needs to be a little bit plural right? The parable of the lost sons. There's someone else in this story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, I love this, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered his property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So the younger son is lost. It's it's, it's very obvious, right? He left the, the freedom and the happiness and the security of home, but the son that stayed home was lost too. And it's, it's sort of, it's hard to see it, right? Because he does the right things. He, he does the duty. He, he, he works hard every day. He's striving to do things for the father. But when he finds out, right, when he hears the music and the dancing, what does the text say? He got bitter and resentful and angry. Um, African theologian Augustine came along and said, the essence of sin is disordered love. So I think of it this way, um, begin to think about the priorities in your life. And Augustine said the thing that sin ultimately is, is um, taking things and misordering them, even good things, right? Like even good things can become um, gods in our life. And so we typically look at sin and we think sin is, um, the dictionary says, an immoral act against the divine, or it's um, rebellion against God, it's disappointing God, it's disobeying God. But like, what if we actually looked at the passage and, and, and looked at it differently and we said, well, what if, what if sin is not just breaking God's law, but it's actually breaking God's heart? Like, God hates that because he loves us, Right? And so in this sense, sin would be seeking an identity, who we, like our primary focus of who we are as a person outside or apart from God. And for the older brother, what this was was his self-righteousness, right? Why couldn't he celebrate? His brother who was lost has, has been found and comes home, and the father wants to celebrate, and the, the brother cannot even imagine that type of grace towards his brother. No way, right? He miss, he's missing it. And, and maybe, maybe with the older brother, you could actually even go as far to say he's basing um, his identity on his latest high or low, right? Like he doesn't, my younger brother, he didn't do the good thing like I did the good thing. I don't know if you remember the story about um, the man who stands up and who, who prays in public high on the chair and then one who humbly prays next to him. I think these are, are moments really, as, particularly if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, this, the, the natural drift of the human heart is self-sufficiency in, in, in ways where we're actually saying, God, I'm doing all the right things. Don't you love me? God, I'm, I'm serving and I'm giving. And you know what? Other people around me don't serve and give like I do. God, do you see? I mean, man, other people just can't catch up to where I'm at. And so what we're doing over time is we're just cobbling together an identity from our latest good or bad deed. I love this picture from The New Yorker. Um, this is from 2014. It's a little bit hard to see, uh, but the idea was um, the advance of technology. And so there are little um, pictures of a puzzle and a year in, in what that person um, w- would be doing or what looked like. But one of the things when I saw this picture I thought of was, isn't this the way that um, our approach to gaining an identity sort of is in our modern, modern culture. It's like, I'm just kind of piecemealing together who I am. And, you know, I heard a good idea about sexuality from this person. And so I'm just going to sort of embrace that um, here. And I have this idea uh, about um, intellectualism. And I'm just, that's going to be a part of me. And we're actually sort of just cobbling together, just putting together, building up this identity um, like a mixtape, right? And we're just saying like, this is who I am right? And so over time, what happens is we, I think sometimes if I'm honest, I sort of feel that way. I sort of feel like I don't make sense, right? Like I'm just kind of piecing together who I am, right? And so seeking an identity in a relationship or an addiction or in a position of power or, or by the way that you look or in the career or the role is they're all just simply ways of making ourselves our own God, and it's sin. It's a way of piecing together the essence of sin is disordered love. And so, I'm very encouraging um, today. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we have a problem, right? Um, our world has a problem, and we need to figure out what we do with this. What, what, are, what are we supposed to do with this? And the scriptures say that sin is not um, simply a product of our larger environment, but actually scripture says that sin comes from within, And so I just want to end by talking about the father. Um, Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. found, And so they began to celebrate. And I think what Jesus is saying is like, if you want to know what God is like, here's what God is like. He's the God that runs to the sun when the sun is coming back. And I love that phrase. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he's found, and the response is, we have to party, right? We have to party, we have to respond to this. And then I have to wonder, do some of you in this room know this experience, right? Literally in your life with, with, a, with a parent or a family member where they said, just come home, right? That moment where it, was, it got a little wild, just come home. Or I know some people in this room, you would say, spiritually with God, I have this. Instead of experiencing shame and judgment for what I did, I actually experienced embrace and connection and someone chasing after me. I know this. I know this because I grew up in a home where it was was a blend of these, I would say, where it was like, do your own thing, right? Right? Be obedient at home, right? My dad wasn't around a lot, and I um, I remember at 12 years old um, being seen and loved by a mentor, someone who would disciple me for for years and spend time with me. Um, I think when I was 12, I wanted to be a youth pastor because I thought youth pastors went to Walmart and like went to McDonald's every day and just hung out. But I know that feeling because when I was 12 or 13 years old. Um, I felt like I was seen for the first time and I felt like I could be myself and I felt like of course I had these um, shortcomings but even in the midst of them I felt a freedom about who I was and I was learning and I don't want to miss this Luke 15 verse 28 this was the most important verse to me this week the older brother became angry and refused to go in so the father went out and pleaded with him the father goes out to both sons. He doesn't just run to the younger son. He also goes out to the older son. So even if you feel like, you know what, I'm a little self-righteous, you know, yet I'm I'm still trying to earn some of these things from God, the father comes there too. The father comes to both, and this is the good news of Jesus. And so uh, in a lot of ways, um, this is where we'll end. A a lot of ways, this this is why we named our church, right um actually we named it after um a quote from from Augustine as well um who says um we didn't just name it after Union Square because churches move in the city all right so I was like I almost I almost didn't want to call our church reunion because I was like we're bound to move and it's not going to make any sense um but then I I heard this quote um from Augustine and said um uh, you have made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you a reunion and so oh these are all done I uh, I'll end here sorry um, so here's where I want to end. It's easy to hear uh, a teaching like today very personally, right? To say, like, I got to go and fix things. I got I to gotta understand grace in a larger way. But I actually don't want to do that today. Maybe we'll do a little self-reflection in the coming weeks. Um, but zoom out of yourself. Like, let's sort of practice. If, if that definition is like a life turned inwardly on itself, like, zoom out of yourself for a second and stop thinking about yourself for a second. And let's start thinking about us as a church, how do we want to do that as a community? Even if you've just been, been here for a couple of weeks and you're thinking, like, do I even want to make this church a part of my home? Well, like, how do, we, how do we participate in the life of God together as a community and as a people? And as we celebrate our two-year existence as a church, I'm, I'm mindful that um, the church is not a building, but that the church is a body of people. So how do we want to do that together? And so I just wrote a couple things that I would just dream about. And you know what let's not even do that let's just do it this way um what are we what are we dreaming of like as a church collectively I just I'd love to just hear a couple today I'll go I'll go first so you can think um I was thinking about wouldn't it be cool if there were more kids downstairs um and I know that comes with logistical issues but I'm totally fine with it so what if there were more kids downstairs wouldn't it be cool if what More new people coming each week. Awesome. What else? Awesome. So we're doing this thing together, right? Good. Yeah, the the natural drift is like 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's good. What else? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I I wrote, what if we had an empty church building on Sunday mornings next door? That's good. Good. So how are we actually reaching the community? What does it look like to engage with our neighbors? How are we learning people who have been here for a really long time? And also um, thinking about people that are are new. And it's a tough tension, but awesome. What else? Yeah, How, how are we thinking about mentorship and discipleship? in the church? What if we were growing in diversity, representing diverse backgrounds and cultural come-froms? How are we pushing for this? What else? One or two more. More age diversity. Really good. What if we could host a marriage or a couple's retreat um, to strengthen marriages and and relationships in the church? What if we could exceed our income and increase our generosity above 10% grow our benevolence fund so we can start thinking about how we're really tackling challenges like mental health. Maybe our church could have a fund that offsets cost for therapy that makes it more accessible starting for people within but thinking about people outside. What else? Let's do a couple more. Yeah, how we could, what, what would it look like to have more rest in our church? That's good. What if we were growing in our knowledge of the unhoused and um, the immigrants that are coming into our city? Um, not, not to just fix it, right? But how are we growing in our understanding of it so we can be a part of helping? All right. These are great things to pray about and, and to dream about for the type of church we want to be and the, the church we can grow into. We, we can do those things, and we need to pray and say, God, help us do those things, but help us um, gear our energy and our affections um, and our love in the right direction. Let's pray. So, God, we need you. Um, I need you. Um, if, I, if I'm honest, I look at this passage, and I, I, what I find out more about myself is that I'm sick and that there are things that, that hinder relationship and connection and intimacy with you. And they also hinder the mission that we wanna have as a church. And so I pray today would just be sort of breaking down those barriers by acknowledging the blocks that we have, the sin that's present, that we, like, like the younger son, come to our senses, That we would pray that's not the way of God, that's not the way of Jesus, and that we would be willing to turn from it, that we would come and receive prayer today to be spoken over, to be chased after, that the Father loves us in that way. And so, Lord, I pray that um, as we speak about the fall, that we wouldn't experience shame or judgment or fear, but actually the thing that we would experience is new life and hope in the person of Jesus and so as we um, come today to partake of the communion meal, I pray that we would remember this. And God, most, most of all, I pray um, that we would acknowledge the depths of love to which you've gone in your son Jesus on the cross. That because of all of this, we have access to you, God, and we can be made right and whole again. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the servers are going to come up. Um, if, if you guys want to stand um, together, um, we partake of communion every week as a reminder of this gospel that we proclaim. Um, and in the cup, uh, underneath the cup, there's two cups. Um, the bread represents Jesus's body broken for you. And then um, the cup of juice represents the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And if you believe that today, you're welcome to share in this meal with us. And so Um, come please and um, thank you um, and uh, grab the elements you can take the elements back to your seat and then we'll partake together come